and welcome to Cameo, guys. I am your host, Mark Nelson. Uh, this is the podcast all about movies, whether they be new or old, and our thoughts about the movies. Uh, that being said, this is a somewhat of a special edition episode, uh, because instead of the Cameo guys, you are only going to enjoy one cameo guy, that being myself for this podcast. Both my co-hosts Cam and Bakesy are currently out of commission. One is travelling overseas and one's just had his wisdom teeth out. So we wanted to ensure that we were continually getting content out to our listeners. So we kind of decided that for this Wednesday edition of the podcast, I would go solo and we'll see how that turns out. So we wanted to frame this podcast Obviously, because it's solo, we didn't want to divulge one of our single movie reviews when it's just going to be me talking about it. We'd rather, as a group or just between Cam and I, discuss movies as we normally would. So for this episode, and it kind of all worked out time-wise, we thought I would have a look through and discuss some of the goings-on at the Golden Globes. I think there was a lot of a lot that happened within the show itself, plus a lot to talk about in terms of some of the winners, um, and even some of the losers at the Golden Globes. So we'll, we'll talk a few things about that. I don't necessarily uh, want to talk through every single award at the Golden Globes. We'd, we'd be here for quite a long time if we did that. So we wanted to also, we did some social media posts around trying to get some questions from our listeners. And uh, surprisingly, considering how those kind of posts have gone in the past for us, uh, there was actually quite a good uh, response from all our listeners. So we ended up with a lot more questions than we thought I would get. So I'm definitely going to try my best to get through every single question and give you know the response that each question deserves. But any questions that I don't get to today will definitely um, not only be answered by myself, but will be answered by um, Cam as well. And uh, if we're even lucky and we, we hold off because we can't get through them in another podcast, you might even get Bakesy's opinion on a few of them as well. That being said, let's uh, delve into uh, everything that was the Golden Globe. So they were held, I'm recording this now on Tuesday night, um, so it was the night before for us here in Australia. And yeah, I, I found it to be quite an interesting show. There was a lot of uh, political nature to this year's Golden Globes, you know, with everything that's been happening with Harvey Weinstein, Kevin Spacey, and that whole raft of and social movement around uh, sexual harassment and women's rights in the workplace, especially for um, female actresses. Well, they're, well, they're all female when they're actresses, but all um, actresses that, and even some actors, um, especially in the Kevin Spacey space, where this Golden Globes was about shining a light on that even more, but not just sexual harassment, but the whole notion of the opportunities that are available for women in that industry and the gender pay gap and everything around that as well. So this year, everything was all about wearing black uh, to show this, and it was a big launching campaign for uh, another run at Times Up, which is something that's a social group that's been building and has a lot of uh, celebrity backing. So there's a lot to digest even with that as a notion. There was a lot of uh, perceived controversy, I think, around this. There was a lot of uh, definitely commentary within the media around the effectiveness of this as an idea and whether or not it should even be done. And then, of course, there were some actresses who uh, I think quite deliberately didn't wear uh, black as well. And, you know, that raises all kinds of questions as well. But even on top of that, so you've got that whole social movement happening with everyone wearing black. Um, it was good to see both men and women 
uh, we're wearing all blacks, so a good bit of solidarity within the industry as well. Um, but I, f- I, f- I definitely enjoyed Seth Myers's, um the way he hosted the show. He definitely had some very... Uh, his monologue was scathing towards Harvey Weinstein and the whole fraternity of uh, men within the industry. And I think his monologue really suited the evening and the point of the evening. So definitely a, a good thing to see and get promoted, which was great. But let's... I think that's a little bit enough about the social commentary We'll get to a few other comments that were made here and there throughout the evening as we get to them. So um, I'm just going to run through a nice list that I've got, and I'll pick out any big call-outs for uh, awards that I want to talk about. The first one that just comes straight to mind, Australian, is Nicole Kidman for her performance uh, as a actress in a limited series or a motion picture made for television, um, which is for... Big Little Lies. Big Little Lies is definitely one of the TV shows that I've wanted to watch for a while. My partner uh, has watched it and has always given rave reviews about it. I think just the cast in that um, series is definitely just highlights the calibre that you should expect from the show. You've got Nicole Kidman, you've got Reese Witherspoon, you've got Shailene Woodley, um, Adam Scott, Alexander Skarsgård. Just the cast is phenomenal and um, it's really starting to uh, get even more of the recognition that it deserves because it was quite cr- critically acclaimed um, as the show was airing. So it was really good to see that happen. One that's uh, quite contentious, I felt, especially today, I was reading into a bit of the backlash backlash around it, was around Best Supporting Actor in any movie, uh, which, you know, had a massive list of actors up for nominations. They had Willem Dafoe. For the Florida Project, you had Army Hammer for Call Me By Your Name, uh, Richard Jenkins for The Shape of Water, uh, Christopher Plummer for All the Money in the World, and obviously the winner of that award ended up with Sam Rockwell for Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. So for our uh, regular listeners, um, I mentioned that I'd seen Three Billboards earlier last week. Hopefully we'll be able to do our own podcast and review of that movie because I thought it was phenomenal. I said to my partner after we watched it that I didn't actually think it would uh, win many awards. Um, Golden Globes are a little bit different, so we'll, we'll see what happens come Oscar time. So it was very interesting to see, not only did it win Best Picture, but it got quite a few nominations for the cast as well, and especially Sam Rockwell's character. There seems to be a bit of controversy, as there is with pretty much anything that happens these days, wherein his character within the movie is quite... Uh, racist, misogynistic, he's very much a creature of, you know, the South of America, and the funny thing is, I had this argument with my partner just before this, I don't think, I kind of agree with that sentiment, like, his character is racist, never really gets his canuppance in that film, and, but is wonderfully performed by Sam Rockwell, Um, but a lot of the commentary was around in, you know, the current climate in America, was that really the kind of uh, performance and character to champion. So I found that to be quite an interesting rhetoric around his award, but definitely a well-deserved one. Moving towards, I'm going to try with the Golden Globes. It's always interesting because there is such a close blend between uh, the TV shows and the movies that, you know, because they, they work hand-in-hand hand with the Golden Globes. So I think I'll try and stick to movies as much as I can. One of the ones that I was so happy to see get the the Globe for was Best Original Score for a Movie Went to the Shape of Water. Cam and I definitely discussed that in our last podcast that we found the soundtrack to that movie to be just 
utterly phenomenal, suited the film so well and just enhanced that movie in every single way, especially when you've got a character who is mute and who is your main character. So much of that performance in the movie is lent to by the soundtrack, being able to complement everything that's happening. And yeah, I think that that was just a really well-deserved uh, Oscar nomination. I feel like Dunkirk was a little bit hard done by as well. Um, not so much because of the way that the Dunkirk soundtrack complemented the film, but it did so much for that movie narratively by creating just this overbearing sense of dread and tension by the way they created that soundtrack that just, I don't think Dunkirk would have been the movie it was without its soundtrack, but again, I still think The Shape of Water was definitely the one to give the award to, but Dunkirk was definitely very hard done by. And just as we keep going along to, obviously, if anyone's been on social media in the last uh, day or so, one of the big moments of the Golden Globes came for when uh, James Franco won Best Actor for a Musical or Comedy Movie, and there were two big things in social media regarding that. So first was, um, obviously... Hugh Jackman's perceived reaction to that win. It definitely came across a little bit um, in all the memes and all the clips that were shown that it may have come as quite a bit of a surprise to Hugh that he lost out. He was also nominated for The Greatest Showman. But again, if anyone listened to our review of The Disaster Artist, I don't think Cam and I said a single bad word about James Franco's performance. He embodied uh, Tommy Wiseau in every single way to the point that like, if visually, of course, there's a little bit off because, you know, James Franco is a good-looking person, so they had to do a lot of work to try and make him look somewhat as reviled as Tommy does. Just his mannerisms and the voice and the cadence that he gave to every single line in that film just makes you think that he's Tommy. So I, that, that was a fantastic award and well-deserved, but the joy of that moment is uh, he invited Tommy Wiseau onto stage. Why you would in any way think that's a smart idea, especially when you've spent as much time as with Tommy as you would have if you are James Franco. And then James Franco essentially had to block Tommy from getting anywhere close to the microphone because Tommy, being Tommy, wanted to uh, say a few words. So I, I definitely think he dodged a bullet there. Another interesting one, which is... Um, Again, there weren't too many other movies, and it, it's the same every year. Coco, the one best animated movie from Pixar, um, which is it's an odd one for me. I found it, I don't think I've seen a Pixar movie in a long time that's received as little advertising or, you know, even less of a marketing push than Coco has. It's It definitely seems like one of the more, uh, like a dark child of Pixar that they didn't really want to push, so it's... it's it, you know, I definitely want to give it a, a watch now that it's won Best Animated Feature. But that being said, the competition in that field was fairly uh, uh, mundane. Like you had the Boss Baby and Ferdinand, which, you know, there's no real competition in that category, especially when most award shows are going to look towards, you know, the quality of the product overall. One of the other movies that, of course, got up in two very big ways, we've spoken about it, uh, before with Sam Rockwell, but three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri won both Best Movie Screenplay and Best Picture. Yeah, just, I can't say it enough to people that they need to go out and see this movie. Um, I don't want to go into it too much because, again, I really want to do a dedicated review to it, but, uh, like, just the, it's one of those movies that 
the awards I think are well deserved. At the time of watching it, I didn't think it would win as many as it has, but maybe that just means it's worth another watch. Who else have we got? So we've also got, I'm going to, despite saying that I wouldn't, uh, talk about one of the TV show winners, which was Best Actor for the limited TV series or TV movie, and that went to Ewan McGregor for Fargo. For those who haven't watched it, make sure you watch Fargo. It is a phenomenal show. It is uh Every single season is a standalone storyline with some, you know, little links here and there to previous seasons. But in this um, series, he plays twin brothers who are two vastly different characters. So his performance for both of them is astonishing um, and is, you know, well worth watching for sure. And then I think this is where we're going to leave it off. Have I possibly not talked enough about female actresses and actors? and directors. Well, directors we can't really talk about because none were nominated. I think we will talk about one purely because of what the awards that it received. So, uh, Lady Bird is just... The critical reception to that movie has been huge. It's one of the most well-reviewed movies ever on IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes, starring... Oh, can't even say her name, Sarozi Ronan. I've absolutely butchered that. Um, but that one, you know, best actress for a musical or comedy movie, one best film for the musical or comedy category. I think that's definitely going to be one to watch. I also think it's got an extremely late release in Australia, which is very disappointing. But yeah, I that's one of my eagerly anticipated movies, just because the reception for it has been just so overwhelmingly positive. I'm very curious to see if that holds up. Uh as a regular movie-going viewer. And the last one I want to talk about, because we've talked about the fact that Billboards has won quite a lot of awards. They also won the award for Best Actress, which went to Frances McDormand, who puts in a just stunning performance. But going back to Best Director for a movie, which went to Guillermo del Toro for The Shape of Water. Again, if you didn't listen to our last podcast, Cam and I did not have... A bad thing really to say about that movie. Possibly hard done by for best movie when you put them side by side. And if just anyone hasn't watched anything from the Golden Globes, I highly suggest you just watch his acceptance speech. It's the speech of a man who has uh, gone through life, you know, following his passions, which is filmmaking. And it's just him kind of expunging his love for the genre and what it's given him and he's been able to do. And just, it's a quite a funny speech as well because they try and cut him off quite early, and he pretty much uh, puts puts that down quite quickly. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much all I wanted to talk through with the Golden Globes. Uh historically, I'm not the biggest fan of the Golden Globes. I don't think they have, you know, and it's almost unwarranted. I don't think they have as much prestige to them as something like an Oscar. Come. You know, when we get to the Oscars, I think I'll be uh, far more interested in which movies get the nominations, let alone who actually wins them. But yeah, Golden Globes are always a bit of a nice little um, litmus test on where a lot of the movies are going to sit come that time. Um, So it'll be very interesting to see between The Shape of Water and Three Billboards, if anything changes by the time we hit the Oscars, I would... If this is any indication, I would love to see Guillermo win Best Director, get an Oscar for The Shape of Water, just because it 
was just an amazing movie. So, yeah, hopefully that's what we see with that. And I think that will do for my roundup of questions about the Golden Globes. So, I think now we'll get into a few of the the questions that were sent through from our listeners. And funnily enough, uh, Cam, being the lovely co-host that he is, has also sent through some of his own questions. Um, just because he was a little bit worried uh, that we wouldn't receive any questions, so I thought he would uh, bolster up the amount that we had. But luckily, we ended up with quite a few. So, first one we had, so the we had um, some questions from both our Instagram and Facebook channels. Um, so let's let's start off with some Instagram questions because they actually uh, came through first. So uh, we have a user named Bigzy Alvarez. Oh, sorry. He's, I think he'll be sitting at home bashing his head. I'm going to assume it actually is Big Easy Alvarez now that I've looked at it. And his question was, interested in your thoughts of Disney's decision to remake classic stories slash movies into live action? For the art of story, or is it just a money grab? Don't want all my fi- my fave childhood movie memories tainted. Hashtag The Jungle Book was amazing, though. I think that's a very interesting question. In many ways, I think Disney has shifted to the live-action model uh, recently because I do believe it's a bit of an easy cash grab for them. Um, there's a lot where they can cash in on things like nostalgia. So the, they're essentially a reboot of one of their movies that they've done, um, you know, which kind of hits the same trend as all reboots. So it's it seems to be, in my eyes, an easy win. You look at the slate of movies that they've got, they're not stopping anytime soon. It's always looking like for the next few years we'll get at least one uh, Disney animated movie done as, you know, a real-life one. Um, we recently had Beauty and the Beast. Um, possibly, I think it's Mulan is our next one. And then, obviously, uh, The Lion King has also been uh, remade. At the same time, I don't think they're the worst movies. Like, to Big Easy's point, The Jungle Book was a fantastic remake and gave just... I think it gave just enough nods to the original uh, to keep it engaging, but at the same time, there was enough differences within it for it to be its own standalone beast, as it were. Beauty and the Beast, I didn't enjoy as much. Uh, A lot of the songs were fantastic. I think Josh Gad in it was um, awesome. I can't remember the guy's name who played Beast, but he was also fantastic. And Gaston, I think where that movie fell a bit flat for me was in Emma Watson's portrayal. I felt that she fell flat. So, I don't know. I think they've got their place to be made now. I, I don't see it any difference between, you know, like an old TV show being rebooted or you look at superhero movies that are constantly being rebooted where we're on our third version of Spider-Man now. Uh, we're probably going to, you know, I wouldn't ex- be surprised to hear an announcement later this year that we're about to have our our third version of the Fantastic Four. So I, I see them very much as reboots because, yes, it's easy. You've got an inbuilt audience already there. But at the same time, I think they still do just enough different to make it worth going 
and seen. But yeah, thanks. Thanks, Big Easy. Um, that was a fantastic uh, question. Let's see what else uh, Instagram has in store for us. Okay. So one user has asked, would love to know your favorite actor, actress, director, and film. Okay. So this is not an easy question. Um, especially film. That's, that is an absolute, uh, ooh, that's a big one to dissect. Let's, let's start off with, uh, actor. So for me, I've always joked around that, uh, Hugh Jackman is one of my favorite actors. I think he can do many different roles. He's, you know, been Wolverine for well over a decade now. Can play, you know, your leading man, can sing, can dance, all that kind of stuff. After Logan especially, though, seeing him do, like, a grizzled old man. um, And a really, you'd argue Logan was very drama-driven. Um... I'm very curious to see where his career takes him as he gets a bit older. I would love to see him do some more serious roles. Um, but if not if not Hugh Jackman, uh, close second for me would be Jake Gyllenhaal ever since uh, Prisoners, which also starred Hugh Jackman. Those two in that movie were amazing. So they're definitely my two favourite actors. Um, in terms of uh, female leads and my favorite actress I would be close and I think uh three billboards has has clinched this for me be Frances McDormand I think she's again had a very amazing and prolific career um I fell in love with her after watching the movie version of Fargo um and yeah everything about her performance in three billboards is just awesome she is a commanding presence in that movie um so if you if you ever want a, a perfect example of why uh she's amazing that's the movie to watch it and find out director for me oh director's a toughie i would all director for me is actually two and i would go with the russo brothers who are at the moment uh of Marvel Studios fame, so they did uh, Captain America, The Winter Soldier, Captain America, uh, Civil War, and then now they're in the process of directing uh, the next two Avengers movies. I pick them because they are incredibly versatile directors. Not only have they done some of my favourite superhero movies, which, if you know me, I'm very much into my nerdy kind of pop culture genres like they just do those movies fantastically there's a level of love and care to the source material that you don't get from a lot of directors but at the same time their hi- their history and their background has been directing some of the best comedy series ever so they were many episodes of arrested development were directed by them um so they've just got this level of work that they've got that just makes me go yeah they're they're the ones for me and then film surprisingly is not a superhero movie or a sci-fi movie like Star Wars, despite my carry-on about how much I was excited for The Last Jedi. My favourite movie is a movie from a few years back now called Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, which was an amazing little um, indie film, which you'd assume by the title, it's about a, uh, a boy in high school and his friend Earl and their 
their friendship as well as his growing friendship uh, with a dying girl from their school who lives down the road from him. It is, I don't want to, that'll definitely be a podcast we'll get to eventually, but that movie's amazing and the way it's directed and, and shot is fantastic. Um, he he is a budding filmographer himself in the movie um, and they kind of show his, and it's one of the best just cinematic tricks I've ever seen that as he, as a character grows and matures, so too do the film techniques within the media, in the movie uh, get refined and uh, become more advanced. So it's kind of like the quality of the movie and the quality of the techniques that they use kind of develop with the character. And I just, I think that's amazing. So for me, that's the perfect movie, not just because of the story and the performance of the cast, but just the way it's directed and just some of the ways they use some non-traditional techniques to kind of illustrate the themes of the movie to the audience where if you're looking for it, you can pick it up. But if you didn't, like if you're not knowing what you're looking for, you wouldn't necessarily pick up on those tricks either. So yeah, that's that was another fantastic uh, question from one of our listeners. Uh, let's go, I think we've got one more from uh, Instagram and then we'll move through to our Facebook questions. So the last Instagram question we have was interested to understand your thoughts about actors using awards nights to make a political statement and also your thoughts on Blanca Blanco ignoring the black theme. So this is in direct response to our post where we mentioned that we were going to talk about the Golden Globes. Um, so I didn't want to delve too much into this when we were talking about the Golden Globes because I knew uh, this question was going to come up. Um, I think awards shows are always going to be a very political and politically motivated evening. I think it, they are a platform for actors and actresses and any of the presenters really to voice uh, opinions, whether they be uh, positive or negative. I think it's definitely become the norm, especially for presenters to spend their monologue uh, very heavily leaning into the political climate of the time. You look back on all of last year's award shows and they were all about Trump. Everything was about Trump and yet this this year, um, yes, Trump is still a... Uh, I think, a large influence on everything that happens at these kind of shows, like everyone's positive reception to Oprah's speech and everyone calling for her to become the next president, I think is very much politically motivated by the current climate created by Trump. Um, But especially with last night, it was all about women and their role in the industry, which has come about because of uh, everything that's happened with Weinstein and all of these, you know, brave women who've come out now and um, told their story. So I think it's always going to be a part of these shows. I think they are the right platform to do it um, because they've got such a large global audience and they're such a big part of, you know, the zeitgeist when they come around this time of year, all the, you know, all the media follows it. So I think it's a great platform to do it. And now, Blanca Blanco. So I saw this question come through last night and started doing a little bit of research on this because I, I had no idea who she was. I still really don't. Um, but what I did find was obviously her comments on why she didn't wear black. And she came out and pretty much just said she liked the color red and that's what she wanted to wear. It definitely comes across as a very quick way 
garner some controversy, which means you're going to garner some limelight for the night. And obviously with a 24-hour news cycle, you can quickly pick up that it should be part of that news cycle. I don't see it as that big of a deal. A lot of that comes, from my opinion, purely you know, reading into a lot of the other views. There were two camps to the whole wearing black. There were people that were very supportive of it, people that were negative of it, people very ambivalent. I I I think it was a good thing to do because of course it it generates the conversation around it but I definitely agree with a lot of the sentiment that you know there's other ways to do that and whether or not it's the right way or if it's doing enough like there were lots of calls to you know just completely boycott the golden globes this year because that would make a far bigger statement than just wearing black but still being a you know willing participant in the industry so I I think it was a very calculated move by Blanca. Um, I don't think it's too much of a political statement on her part, um, but at the same time, I think it was very calculated and a uh, clear reason why she did it, obviously, because there's one way to stand out on the red carpet. So yeah, thank you for all of our uh, listeners on Instagram who sent through some questions. We... Well, I definitely appreciate it, and hopefully we get to hear uh, more from our audience on Instagram, you know, with every podcast. We'd love to, um, I know Cam's been dying to answer some questions, so I feel like he's probably sitting at home right now, just feeling a little bit bitter that I'm sitting here um, going through all the questions that we've finally received. Moving on to Facebook, though, um, and we had two questions from some listeners on Facebook, one of which asked the question, I am currently watching The Sinner. Can you let me know what you would recommend to watch next? Again, in our previous podcast, I mentioned that I just finished watching The Sinner and was very impressed by it. Definitely a one season and done, so you refer to it as a miniseries. Um, for those who haven't watched it still, A, watch it. It's fantastic. The production value on it's incredible. The cast in it is amazing, and the storyline in it is great. Many twists and turns, and I don't think you'll... That you'll, it'll leave you guessing for quite some time. And now for listeners who have seen The Sinner and are possibly thinking of, you know, what should I watch next? A few suggestions. My all-time favourite TV show now is a HBO series called The Leftovers. And it's an amazing three-season TV show. They had a clear beginning, middle and end that they wanted to tell. It was always going to be three seasons and it really, it serves as, it services that series well with the idea that they always had a clear endpoint. It's done by one of the creators and writers of Lost, and I think this is... If if you enjoyed Lost, you'll like this even more. If you didn't like Lost, I think you'll still really enjoy this. It stars Justin Theroux, and he he's puts in just the performance of his career in this show. So that's a show that I always recommend to people. What else can we suggest you watch? You know what? We've, we've talked about Ewan McGregor's role recently. If you haven't started watching it already i cannot implore people enough to watch fargo all three seasons i would even suggest watching the movie again they're all separate series and the movie but they have little bits here and there that link them all together and really fleshes out the show if you've got that understanding of where the links are just because it gives it a a completely another level every time but that show's got just uh magnificent cast so I think the first season uh, starred Martin Freeman and Billy Bob Thornton 
Um, second season starred Patrick Wilson. Recent season, obviously, Ewan McGregor uh, was heavily in the cast. So, yeah, just both of those shows are, in my eyes, must-watch series. So if you haven't watched either of them, uh, to that listener, I would suggest watching both of those. All right. One more Facebook question, and then we will move to Cam's questions, which I haven't really had a good look chance to look at, so I'm sure he'll throw in some absolute curveballs. But the last Facebook question we have is, what was your favourite movie of 2017 and why? Oh, boy. 2017 for movies. I felt there were a lot of standout movies in 2017, but nothing that really really was a massive front runner in terms of like it wasn't a mind blowing movie that has changed my life or anything like that honestly if i'm thinking back on 2017 i'd say my favorite is blade runner 2049 the uh sequel to the original blade runner again another movie we haven't quite had a chance to review um we might have to do that when it uh gets a home release but i i felt like it it was one of those movies that all through its production, uh, I remember that a lot of the sentiment was negative towards it. I myself was worried about it. I've always really enjoyed uh, the original. But honestly, in terms of... like, It's easily one of the best sequels I've ever seen. It captured the feeling and the, the mood of the original so well. And the way it called back to the original was done uh, very well. The CGI in it was... Very good, but not over the top. Again, where it kind of leaned towards, you know, the stylistic choices of the original. So it had a lot of uh, practical effects mixed in with the CGI. And that worked very well. Uh, it surprisingly didn't have too much Harrison Ford in it, despite all of the uh, marketing being centered around him, uh, which was surprising. Um, but Ryan Gosling gave a great performance in it as well. So yeah, I, I think Blade Runner's, Definitely my favourite movie of the year. Uh, now, close second, uh, which funnily enough is another sequel, is John Wick 2. We've got a listener request to review both John Wick and John Wick 2. Um, and we'll definitely be doing that in the near future. Um, but that is, again, not even just a great sequel. Uh, John Wick 2, I think, is one of the best movies I've ever seen in terms of setting up a subsequent sequel and setting it up in a way that the audience instantly wants to see the sequel. I think it's going to be a long wait between uh, John Wick 2 and John Wick 3, um, but I cannot wait for John Wick 3 just based on how good uh, that series has been and to have a sequel put perform that kind of way is a you know testament to the series and what they've built in terms of the universe because it's not just the action that you want to go back for, it's you want to learn more about this universe that they've kind of created within that movie series. All right, so great question from all of our listeners. Let's have a look at the doozies Cam has sent my way. So Cam's first question, and there are four. So what is the first film you remember that you loved? I think the first movie that I absolutely loved and at the same time, I don't think back then I understood what that movie was, um, but I, I distinctly remember being around the age of four or five and just loving the 1989 Batman movie starring Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson. 
I remember spending most days when I was that age uh, in a Batman costume watching that movie constantly. So I think that's definitely um, up there as one of my favourites. It's just so vividly entrenched in my mind as uh, a movie that I always watched. So yeah, that would be the first movie that I loved. Uh, and then followed by when did you be camp second question by the way listeners when did you become interested in nerddom eg comics star wars etc so for me again I, just purely by what i just said so i think i was watching the batman movie when i was four or five i definitely lent into that kind of uh superhero stuff at a very early age i remember my dad recording for me across three weeks on every Friday night for a three-week period. Channel 10 here in Australia was um, playing all of the Star Wars movies, and so he'd record it for me, and then the next day, during the day, I'd be sitting there watching Star Wars for the first time on our very small uh, TV back then, and I just I was blown away by Star Wars straight away. And then I think about a year, year or two later, the the special editions released in cinema. So being able to, yeah, to have that moment where for a three-week period, I'd get excited every week to see the next Star Wars movie. And then I think that kind of got solidified when the special editions came out because I could actually go to the movies and see those movies on the big screen. And again, that blew me away. I For a long period there, in terms of the the nerdy nature, I, I I lent more to books for a long time, so I was a pretty avid reader as a kid. Um, I think I had every single Animorphs book, so still I always had a big leaning towards sci-fi. Um, but I only really got back into comics, I think, around the age of uh, fifteen. I I really got back to them in a big way in terms of I started collecting them. I started reading from issues number one all the way through and actually, you know, getting an almost encyclopedic knowledge of, you know, these characters' histories because I was just consuming so much, um, so many stories and so many series. So I, I think, yeah, from about the age of 15 till now, it's just been a constant ramping up of just my uh, useless knowledge that is my comic book knowledge, my movie knowledge and even my... um my video game knowledge as well. So it's, it's all kind of, there were little bits and pieces when I was younger. And then yes, as I got older, it all just kind of, and you know, had my own money to really, you know, explore all of these things myself that it really kind of took shape for me. So here's an interesting question that I'm going to try and uh, decipher what Cam meant here. He's asked movies you wish would happen slash not happen. Um, I'll, I'll call back to uh, our second episode that we ever recorded, which was uh, The Dark Tower. That is definitely a a movie that I wish had never happened. Um, but at the same time, it's it's one of the, the literary series that I still want to see done while on screen. Um, I still think there's so much wealth of content and storylines there um, that are just so suited to a high-budget TV show um, that I think will be uh, criminal if they never get it done. 
So, yeah, that's definitely something that I wish had never happened. At the same time, there's still these rumblings at the moment of um, a new Lord of the Rings TV series being adapted by Amazon, which brings up all kinds of red flags. I think that's a that's a film series that has been done, put that away, you know, hold it on, upon high. I think the quality of those movies means you you don't need to revisit it in, in another format. I just don't think there's any real necessity to that. And then I think the movies that I want to see happen now with the, the Fox-Disney merger, I think we're about to see... Um, something on screen that, you know, people have only imagined would be possible, um, which is to see, you know, all the Marvel characters under one roof. I think we're finally going to get a really faithful adaption of the Fantastic Four, which is something I've been waiting for a very long time. We're going to see uh, things like the the X-Men meeting up with the Avengers or the Avengers meeting up with um, the Fantastic Four, all these kind of things. To see that on screen, I think, is going to be amazing and we're at a time where you know superhero movies are at their peak so i think it's it's the right time to go even bigger with those kind of movies so i'm really excited to see what could and hopefully will happen uh there and then cam's final question and probably our final question for this podcast which has surprisingly gone longer than i thought it would um cam has asked what makes a good movie for you i think i've got a few rules around a good movie for me and it it almost depends on the genre and almost the mood that you're in when you're watching a movie like there's nothing to say like sometimes a an action movie where you can switch your brain off isn't amazing or an action movie that's so bad it's good and you can just spend it laughing isn't great but for me I think not even superhero movies are my pinnacle of a good movie I love really uh, dramatic character-driven movies where it you know, really explores some themes or some characters directly. I think that's why Me, uh, me and Earl and the Dying Girl are some of, is my favourite movie ever because of how much of a close character study it is on its characters um, and its themes are so rich and... Oh, hello, high pitch. But it's so rich and, and well-made that it just... It makes... I, I can happily sit and watch that movie at any time. So I think for me, it's... And coming off as a bit of a, a film buff and, you know, going through and doing, you know, media teaching and stuff like that, my enjoyment of film can come from things like how well the story's made. But even if it's just a really good movie, I'm more than happy to just sit through and watch it and um, try and think of how they, you know, shot certain scenes or how, you know, the simple of how did they light those scenes. And I think what really makes and breaks a movie for me sometimes is the soundtrack which again is why The Shape of Water was just an instant um, almost 5 out of 5 movie for me um, because of how well done that soundtrack was it's why I think a lot of the success of the Star Wars movies is because it has such a fantastic soundtrack from John Williams it's the same thing about Jurassic Park that honestly I think the where films lack sometimes is that soundtrack because there's no without a solid soundtrack throughout your movie it loses a bit of connectivity between scenes and themes and everything that's going around it so i think without a great soundtrack to a movie you're really gonna miss the bar for me on what makes it good all right i think that uh 
adequately sums up all of Cam's questions, our Facebook questions, and all of our Instagram questions. So um, I think that's going to be it from me, guys. If anyone's still listening by this point, I'm going to be astonished. Um, this was really fun for me. Um, of course, I miss Cam and Bakesy, and hopefully I don't have to do this too often. Um, but you know what? You've all had a listen now to uh, us answering some questions. We would love to do this with every podcast. So please remember, guys, that um, you can ask us questions at any point, whether that's on Facebook or Instagram or directly via email. We've got our email address, which is cameoguys at gmail.com. So please, I'd love for our next podcast that we have some questions that we can get Cam to answer next time. And um, what I'm, I'm thinking of is uh, you've been able to hear me solo and listen to some of my thoughts uh, pretty much unfiltered this episode so hopefully in the future we get the opportunity where uh, we'll do something similar for Cam where he'll get his own little Q&A slash solo episode and the same for Bakesy but I'm going to leave everyone at it guys thank you for listening if you're still there please remember to rate and review uh, this podcast uh, in your podcasting apps or in iTunes any you know reviews that we get will help boost our uh, visibility on the app stores um, so would really appreciate you taking the time to just click a few buttons right now on your devices and give us a quick rating and review but for that I'll leave everyone now and uh, you'll see me and Cam and hopefully Bakesy in the next few episodes but for now good night